Welcome to the Luge Rugby Podcast with your hosts, Derek Brissett and Dan Murphy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this uh, first summer episode of the Rouge Rugby Podcast. You know, up here in Canada, it's starting to get a little bit warmer. I mean, we're kind of going through streaks of hot and cold weather where we think it's, you know, the middle of August and it feels like it's October. But uh, we're back. You know, we've been kind of, uh, you know, hunkering down and, and dealing with uh, the COVID-19 crisis. But uh, the rugby world has been a turning. And between MLR and Rugby Canada and all other kinds of news that's been happening. We decided that we want to get back together and uh, record another podcast. Um, Derek, you know, a lot of things have kind of happened in the last couple of months uh, since we last recorded. Um, we're going to start at home. We're going to start with our, with, with rugby Canada. And the first big news piece that's kind of happened in the last week or so is they have announced a new multi-year deal with Macron, um, the Italian um, kit provider. What, what are your first impressions with the deal? Because this is a pretty short turnover for a kit provider, at least in the last, you know, if we're comparing it to other kits that Canada have worked with. Yeah, so it's, uh, Canterbury came on actually in February 2018. They kind of, they wore that kit for, uh, the, you know, the buildup to the, uh, the World Cup through like the repishage and all that as well. And now I guess that the World Cup's over, so has ended Canterbury's, you know, um, partnership and association with Rugby Canada. Uh, Marcano is a very cool brand. Um, I'm a big fan of many of the kits that they make across the world, whether they be for international teams or for professional ranked club teams. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they do, obviously they do in the Six Nations, the so biggest tournament in the Northern Hemisphere, they do the kit for Scotland and they do the kit for Italy. They also have a handful of teams in the Premiership and the Pro 14, including you know, the Northampton Saints, the, uh, I believe, the Glasgow Warriors, uh, Zebra, um, Edinburgh. I think uh, the Scarlets as well. Scarlets right? as well, yeah. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of teams in there. And I'm, you know, they, they're, have, they're outfitting a lot of the clubs that are playing at the highest level. As I said, too, also, you know, top tier one countries are using Marcone kits. So that's always a good plus sign as well. Obviously, they're from Italy. So it's probably a big deal for them to have the Italian national team as one of the clubs that they are outfitting. Uh, Marcono lately has been attempting to make some inroads into the Canadian market. They're the official kit supplier for the Canadian Premier League, which, you know, it's a relatively new professional soccer league that stretches all the way across Canada. One of the few, like, all Canadian pro leagues outside of the CFL. So it's nice to see that we're kind of getting a little bit more of those, but Marcon for the most part, like I'm, I'm not a huge soccer guy, so I haven't been following the league too much, but all of my friends that do are very pleased with at least the branding and how the league actually looks. Um, so Marcon's um, from everything that I've heard, it's like the fans and the teams are quite happy with uh, what Marcon's done for the Canadian premier league. Um, and, you know, go, going into that is like when I saw that Marcone was going to take over, there was a couple of things that I really liked in the press release. I'm obviously saying that it's a long-term deal. You kind of alluded to, they were bouncing off a very quick turnaround from Canterbury. But my biggest, uh, my biggest thought when I saw that was, please let there be callers on the national oh. jerseys. 
Well, and, and, and Derek and I have talked back and forth on this on Twitter and on private messaging. Um, recently, uh, Rugby Canada showed the infamous uh, World Cup quarterfinal game uh, that starred uh, Gareth Rees. Uh, and they had these just amazing, beautiful kits with, with – and, and they're, they're classic, right? You know, just the, the white maple leaf and the collar. And, and Derek even tried his hand at uh, adding – the, the Rugby Canada shield that's that's currently being used onto those kits. And I think that I agree with you, Derek. Um, I'm not, you know, the biggest soccer fan, um, but I did love a lot of the kits that they made, especially, you know, the the quote-unquote local team for us. Uh, the York Nine kits were were very nice. And if they, they – had if collars they, too. And they had collars too, right? I mean, that – we are we are big collared fans. I mean, I'm in the process right now of of buying a new uh, rugby jersey because my brothers are are great and they're they're buying me one for my birthday. And you know, I thought I had one picked out, and then Macron announced this deal with Rugby Canada, and I said, oh, I think I gotta wait a little bit longer, you know, because I want I I can't in my own conscience go and buy myself, you know, an Ireland jersey or I was looking at Munster or. I was even looking at the Seawolves uh, away kit from this year. And, and then I just, it would break my heart if these, these jerseys were just so beautiful and I missed out on it. Yeah, I think, I think that's been one of the great things kind of in seeing some of the fan reaction to it is it seems like it's pretty positive. There was a lot of, I saw like various players on social media, especially the Instagram story was uh, there's a lot of fire emojis being tossed around by some of the uh, the players on the national teams, which is great to see. Like, if they're, you know, if they're excited about it, that, you know, probably bodes well for, like, you know, the fan base to also be excited. Um, you know, they, and some of them even, some of them even said that, like, the, the kits are, are good to wear. Yeah. Like, like I, ignore, I mean, ignore style. Like, I, yeah. I've seen people, you know, professional and also just, like, people have bought the the supporter stuff say that like these are nice kits they they fit well they they're comfortable and and players enjoy wearing the stuff yeah i i have a uh, macron northampton saints kit and it's probably one of my favorite jerseys to wear uh, mainly because it's like it's one of those kits that it's like it looks good if you like just wear it out in public like it's not like you have to be going to like a rugby game or something for you know to feel like you're in place wearing that kit and, uh, but yeah, like it's, it's really quite comfortable. I mean, obviously I don't play rugby at an elite level where I feel like <laughs> I can really, really distinguish the differences in the different types of material that went into the jerseys, but you know, the players on the national team, MLR players and stuff too, it's like, they can tell the difference. They know what a quality kit feels like. And you know, if that's part of what makes them excited, then that's brilliant. So um, that's a very positive thing to hear as well attached to this deal. And, you know, it's coming – I think it's good timing, too, because, you know, in doing my Jersey research, um, I even threw it up on the Rugby Union subreddit and asked people's opinion of what they thought. You know, it sounded like a lot of people had a bad taste in their mouth from Canterbury, from the kits that they kind of released in the World Cup. Now, we all know that, that Canada had a very plain-looking red jersey but had a killer red uh, black jersey that they just never really – got the chance to wear because they never played against another red team. They never got to play Wales um, or, or Russia. So, you know, it was, it, we saw that, that kit once against, uh, I think it was Tonga in the Pacific that, Nations Cup. That sounds right. Yeah. 
Um, so, you know, it's, it's tough. You know, the, the fan reaction from Canterbury seemed to be mixed. So I, I'm excited to see what they can come up with. The stuff that they kind of released quickly looks like it was stuff that they released quickly. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's you mean stuff. like on the uh, Rugby Canada website? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like, not, it's, it's, it's like, here's a plain black Marcone t-shirt with a yeah. Rugby Canada logo. Rugby Canada thing. You know, it's not yeah. nothing new. And I'm sure that as, you know, they start, you know, producing things and, and it does say in the release that they're not, it, the, the release date for the jerseys TBD because, you know, the world's kind of crazy right now. So, you know, we don't really know when the kit's going to be released or mm-hmm. when things are going to start being manufactured. Um, Italy was kind of hit hard with this whole COVID-19 pandemic. So in which Macron spent a lot of time making like PPE and other things for, which is fantastic, you know, props to them for, and that was, that's one of the things that, that rugby Canada said that they were excited on, you know, partnering with a company that cared, you know, that, that, you know, put an effort in helping, helping their, their, their neighbors, which is something that uh, is really, really uh, something to applaud. Um, but the next thing we're going to kind of talk about, we're going to kind of play a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, free agent frenzy, you know, armchair GM uh, bit. So two high-profile Canadian wingers uh, are kind of testing the free agency waters. And, and they're both in different positions in terms of their careers. Um, DTH Vandermerver has announced that he will not be returning to the Glasgow Warriors. Um, we kind of know that his international duties have ended after the World Cup with, with Canada, but it sounds like he wants to ki- take one more kick at the can. And then we have Taylor Paris, who's kind of in the prime of his career. Um, you know, he hasn't had the same type of career as DTH. Um, he has had some injuries, but he's a very talented winger. And uh, this past, uh, the Pro 14 season uh, that, that happened before the pandemic and the one before that, before the World Cup, he had a very strong campaign for and I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Castors, uh, where um, Tyler Audron will be going to after the Super Rugby season and uh, Matt Tierney. So it, it was kind of a Rugby Canada hotbed. So Derek, my question is to you, which player fits MLR better? Because there's rumors about both of them maybe taking a shot at the league. Who do you think better fits where the league is and where the league is going? Um, I mean, both of them, like there's no, there's no reason that, uh, like I would be shocked if there was any one of the 13 teams in major league rugby wouldn't want DTH Vandermover or Taylor Paris on their team. Um, one, because obviously, you know, they're international players. They've been playing overseas, Glasgow Warriors pro 14, um, you know, Castorus in the top 14 in France as well. It's like, those are unreal leagues or some of the best leagues in the world. And especially in the case of DTH Vandermover, like he was one of, the best players in that league too. He is, I believe, the third all-time leading try scorer in Pro 14 history. He's the all-time leading try scorer for the Glasgow Warriors. Um, and, you know, it's also Canada's all-time leading try scorer. It's like there's a lot of accolades that DTH Vandenberger has racked up over the course of his career. And, you know, the Paris, same thing. Like he's obviously, he's been playing at an extremely high level. He's been playing at a level, I think we can all agree, top 14 is probably better than Major League Rugby. Um, so he's you know, been playing at that level. He's been, you know, he's had success. He's had some up and down times as well. Like you said, there's been a little bit of injury trouble. Um, but I don't see why, like, either one of them wouldn't be a fit in major. Yeah. Um, 
regardless, it's like, you know, you can maybe get into say what teams these guys might want to go to if they were to be, making yeah. um, you know, DTH is kind of more of a West coast guy. Um, so maybe a team like Seattle appeals to them, maybe a team like LA, um, maybe, you know, something like that. LA, Dallas, LA and Dallas, obviously like they got to be looking at players from everywhere. They don't, you know, we know that they can't the, be picky. Yeah. We know the dispersal draft has happened. So there's probably, they have a handful of Raptors on their rosters. We don't exactly know who those Raptors are. Um, it's going to have a draft and stuff coming up and then, you know, they got to hit free agency. They got to hit free agency hard. So, um, you know, there's going to be some teams like that at rugby ATL. They just lost a uh, Harley Wheeler to uh, the sevens program. They're going to need a winger. Um, so that's, you know, there's a lot of places that they can go. And like I said, like there's a lot of teams that are definitely going to want them. Um, Taylor Paris might be that type of guy that kind of fits the uh, Toronto arrows mold pretty well. The arrows are obviously pretty deep on the wing with uh, Dan Moore, Le- uh, Leandro Levis, Gaston Mirez, Johnny Sheridan. So it's like, they got some really good wingers on that team, but Paris has obviously played for the Mark Myers. He's played for the blues. You know, he's played with a lot of the arrows players. He's played under a lot of the arrows uh, coaches and managers. So it's like, that's, you know, he, he would fit that mold. Um, the Toronto Arrows did bring Dan Moore back from Europe. So maybe they will be able to, maybe they could bring Taylor Paris back over. Um, but if they, if they want to play in major league rugby and if they don't have, you know, maybe offers from other leagues or anything that might appeal to them more, um, if they want to play, I don't see a, I don't think they would struggle to find a home in MLR. Yeah, I think that you kind of said two teams for at least DTH that are interesting. I think, I mean, L.A., you know, he's got a young family. How awesome would it be to, to live in L.A., uh, you know, with them? That would be really cool. But I think, I think Atlanta is an interesting spot. I mean, you know, you've got a couple Canadians on the roster already that can make mm-hmm. you feel at home. And also, you know, Atlanta is a beautiful place. I mean. You can't, you can't really, uh, you know, miss too much there. Uh, so that, yeah, that would be really, really interesting. And, and I, uh, the Taylor Paris connection to Toronto just kind of, you know, it's a salivating thought uh, for, for Eros fans, um, you know, adding any type of weapon, especially in the back line would be interesting. And then there was, I wouldn't say complaints, but you know, when, when injuries kind of hit, you know, when Dan Moore was out in that Glendale game, you know, they kind of talked about, you know, the finishing, you know, they miss, Avery Oideman, you know, and Taylor Paris seems like that's, that's a perfect fit, you know, battling for, for time with, with some of the other talent there would be really, really cool. Um, and, you know, the last thing we want to talk about with Rugby Canada is uh, they have announced their, their latest um, uh, plan for the return to play program. And it looks essentially that they are uh, in co- uh, cooperation with the provincial rugby unions which uh, both Derek and I agree is, is the right step. I mean, they can make a blanket statement and a blanket plan, but what works in Ontario isn't, you know, might not work in, in BC. I mean, m- you know, most of the, the, the pandemic has hit Ontario the hardest. So why put sanctions that work for Ontario, but not BC or, or, you know, the Atlanta rock, which, you know, wouldn't be hit as hard. So I think that it's really smart for them to meet with uh, the provincial uh, unions. Derek, other than that, really, is there much more that like fans really need to know from this, this document? I mean, I think, you know, if you're, if you're one of those fans that maybe just loves to watch rugby, um, 
and maybe doesn't play it or isn't at a club, then maybe there's not a whole lot there for you necessarily. Um, I think obviously if you're part of a club, you are keeping in any capacity, you're keeping a very close eye on what rugby Ken's decisions are going to be. I think with the document that they did kind of put out, I like that. I like that they, you know, they're being pretty, seems like they're being relatively transparent here. They got, we got the list of all the names of the people that are on the committee, what their roles are with their respective organizations. Um, as well as like, you kind of, we have a couple of the items that they like, they want to talk about and how, you know, a little bit of a step-by-step, some of the criteria that they're looking at to implement rugby going back into Canada. And, you know, there's obviously, you know, there's things that are kind of divided. We have some education, the difference between trainers, training for like minors versus training for adults versus, you know, what it's, you know, what's, uh, you know, just uh, your local club that's, you know, just out for a, a kick for some, for some fun and, you know, the social element to it versus what are the teams that, you know, are looking to perform at that high performance level, whether that be like, you know, some of the university teams, the, you know, the provincial teams, the, uh, you know, even like the top, the top tier of uh, club rugby and obviously as well, the Toronto Arrows apply to that high performance you know, division as well. And, you know, so it's like, it's, it's nice to see that they've kind of outlined it. I think it's important to note that they said that I believe it is, they want to provide the platform or the plan by no later than June 30th. So I think that gives us something to look forward to. We can, you know, establish, I like that they established a timeline. It's like, if it shows up before June 30th, that would be awesome. But you know, they basically, they got the committee together. This is what the issues that they're talking about are pretty relatively clearly outlined. And then obviously just like, this is at the very latest when you can expect to have it by. So from that point of view, I like the announcement. Um, I think it's tough right now. I think we're still in like a big time of uncertainty due to COVID and, you know, obviously rugby is, you know, a very unique sport in the sense that it is very close contact, especially something like the scrum, right? Like there's not yeah. a whole lot of sports where it's like really literally involved you putting like your face side by side to somebody else's face. Yeah. Um, like a hockey face off, but that is for like a split second compared to how long sometimes scrums. And, and, and you're not actually in contact during no. off either. Um, and you know, I think, so I think that's kind of interesting. I think too, it's like you take kind of that and then you take the other document that, World Rugby put out, which they were saying is like, here are 10 rule change suggestions for, you know, if your government isn't allowing you to necessarily come back to full and proper rugby, here's maybe some of the things that you can maybe kind of get rid of, um, which, you know, I think there was, there's some people that seem like they're kind of nervous if like those rules would like click and stick around, but like beyond COVID, but I really, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're just kind of looking at like, you know, what's the fastest way we can get people back on rugby pitches. And then if, you know, certain governments around the globe are going to be maybe a little bit, you know, stricter than others, um, maybe we can make a a tiny rule change that'll allow you to get back to playing instead of waiting another six months. And even if that rule change kind of sucks, maybe it'll be one of those things that you just, you know, kind of deal with it and then, you know, move on after, I think, um, some of the rules that were in that document, I thought were kind of funny though. And I'm sure like coaches are already like, I hate this. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, one, use it becoming three seconds instead of five, like a ref ever actually calls that. 
um, is, you know, one of those, like, all right, like, what does that do? Um, I think too, it's like, I'm sure a lot of the defense coaches are losing their minds about not being allowed to choke tackle, you know, hold up the ball and stuff. So like, that's, I'm sure that's not going to fly too well over time either. Um, so oh, there's, there's a little suggestion. I, I like that, you know, world rugby and rugby Canada are being active on that front and offering up like yeah, for sure. and everything, but you know, I don't believe super rugby is actually changing any of the rules. So for the New Zealand competition, so yeah, we'll they're, they're a whole different animal, unfortunately for them. But yeah, um, I think you're, you're right. Uh, rugby Canada to the most part has been pretty transparent through these processes. I mean, their last kind of update, they kind of released the, the 2018 financial audit, which we've been waiting for for a while. And it was, it was for the most part, pretty thorough. Um, they were very transparent about the funding cuts that they had to make to um, the national athletes. And they were, and, and they kind of talked about how they weren't eligible for the world rugby funding and, and, you know, how they were doing and how they were eventually going to have to ask for, for funds from the government because they're kind of thriving off of the Canada sevens tournament and some other money that they've gotten. So, you know, it's, it not has paying been the players anymore either. Yeah. That's yeah. The not paying the national players. So it's been a very interesting process to see how this happening. And again, uh, we talked about this in other, ep- uh, other episodes about how everyone's kind of going through this together in terms of, we don't know what the expectations are, but uh, it has been very interesting. Um, so we're going to move on now. And speaking of interesting, speaking of interesting, ah, oh, so the MLR Los Angeles franchise has officially announced their name, the LA Guiltinis. There we go. I'm going to go on record and and say one positive thing about. Let's hear it. Let's hear the positive them. thing. I love the color palette they chose. And their, their logo is, is sharp. I think that it's point. I think it's ridiculous. I think the martini glass, it looks ridiculous, but whoever did it, did a pretty good job. The guillotines. Are you kidding me? <laughs> um, yeah. I just kind of want to start off. I'll, I'll kind of echo your positive sentiments there. The color combination is outstanding and if we actually get an MLR team with some like powder blue and pink kits, I am all for it. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the season when we were kind of rating some of the kits throughout the league. And there's a lot of black, red, and dark blue. And, you know, that was the one thing I really liked about the Gilgronis too, is they changed. They went from another just, hey, it's, you know, the fifth dark black, black blue, blue team in the league. Maybe a little and bit now, orange. Now you're the one bright orange team in the league, which is, a, yeah. which is a positive thing, right? At least, you know, your kits are instantly recognizable. So that's a good thing. So if they can kind of pull off a similar style kit with that, I'd be like, I'm okay with it. I still don't like the football numbers on the Gilgronis jerseys, but that's another discussion altogether. No. Um, yeah, that's, that's also, that's just bad. I think I, um, I, I, I saw somewhere and I think that they did it because they didn't really have time to put the sponsors, get the sponsors together. Cool. Cause it's a new ownership. If your sponsor changeover. is number seven, then that's cool. You can put a giant seven on your jersey. If you're, well, so what I'm like, saying is they put, uh, if you're, if you're being sponsored by the count from Sesame street, you can put some like gigantic numbers on the front of your jersey, but beyond that. What I'm saying is I think the jersey, I think, I think the number I'm hoping that the number was a 
okay, well, we don't have a sponsor lineup. Let's just put something there. Put a, put a big, put a big AG, put like a hockey logo style AG on it. Okay. The, uh, the All right. But we're anyways, not talking about the Gilgronies. Yeah. So the one thing though, I, okay. do, I do agree though, that it's like, I do like the logo. It, it, like if you're, I, I think it's silly to be naming your team, a second team after a drink that doesn't exist. But if you're going to name your team after, let's just call it, let's say, let's say we're naming the team the LA Martinis. For say, like if you're going to call your team the Martinis, that's a cool logo to do it with, I think. I really yes. like it. Um, and, you know, I think the root of the goofiness and the silliness of this really just lies in the team name and the team name specifically. I think like um, Stu Hardy put up on Reddit, he did his, I think he called his post something like I fixed the LA logo. Um, and, yeah. But what he did was he removed the martini glass and he changed the pink word mark from Giltinis to Loyals, which the LA Loyals was what most people thought the name of the team was going to be. And it looks really good. So shout out to Stu for coming up with that. Um, he like, it, it looks good. And when he, Stu showed that, what I find is interesting is that the, like when he posted on Reddit, all the comments on his post are positive. Like people seem to like it. And it yeah. goes, like I was happy to kind of see that. Cause now I don't feel like I'm losing my mind for liking the game. <laughs> But I think one of the issues, though, that was brought up to me when I did initially write my post on Layman Sports that I was saying I like the branding and stuff. But, you know, some people have approached me with some different perspective. And I'm curious to ask you, which is like, because you're a parent, you have a young child at home. It's like, do you want your child walking around with a martini glass on a shirt or hat or whatever other merchandise? Yeah. And, you know, someone has brought someone brought up online. Well, you know, the Heineken Cup or the Guinness Pro 14. Mm -hmm. I have no problem with, with alcohol being, a alcohol company being a sponsor. But if you're deciding that you're going to brand your company and brand your sporting program, and, and Adam Gilchrist through so far with the Gilgronies has shown that he is very, very serious about growing youth rugby in Austin. And I'm assuming he's going to want to do the same thing in LA. Well, Parents are not going to want their child to be part of the Giltinis. With a Gilgroni, you can at least say that's a silly name. Not, not a lot of people know what a Negroni drink is. Everybody knows what a martini is. So when you see them, it looks like you're playing for a beer league team. And I think the one thing that, like, when, when I showed my wife, she had the most visceral reaction. Like, she, make, she basically said, this makes me not want to be a fan of MLR because the league approved this and unless this is just a giant joke it's lazy it's so lazy like I don't understand why Gilcrest and Loyal Rugby and his 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 team thought that it'd be smart to just name another team after the Gilgronies we can say in a couple of years, ah, oh, that was a fun, you know, it came from a weird beginnings, but now it's grown in everybody. Now that there's two, it's just lazy. I, I'm curious with what you were saying there. It's like, you know, would you, would you be fine with like, if you you, you know, your daughter was wearing like a Gilgroni shirt because there's no, like the actual image of alcohol isn't there versus that, that, a Giltini. 
Yeah, that too. Like, I would rather the Gilgroni thing doesn't bother me as much because, again, yeah, there's no actual like little like whiskey glass with ice in it. You know that yeah. uh, at least it's like it's not as it's like they're slapping you in the face with with the branding with LA. Mm. It's like we are drinking with the with the Giltines, but the Gilgronis. It's like oh, you have to actually do a little research you, to realize what a Gilgroni is or what, what I mean, they're talking even, about. Even I think like maybe even like to your kid, if your kid asks like, what's a Gilgroni, you can make up some like goofy response. of like, oh, it's a, oh, it's rugby, an armadillo it's a rugby player that, has... that wears cowboy hats in yeah. Texas or something, right? You can make up that yeah. kind of, whereas it's like the Giltini you have. See, because even like, I was kind of even thinking that I saw those comments too about like, you know, obviously the, the Guinness Pro 14, Guinness Six Nations, like Guinness is probably the corporation that is most associated with rugby around the world. I think that's a relatively fair thing to say. I don't know if you can think of a company yeah. off of your head that you would argue that with. Um, and I think like, that's what I was kind of like wondering and stuff. And I was like, I was thinking like, man, like I wonder if the public reaction to this team name would be different if it was called like the LA Guinness. Right. But I was also thinking it's like, you know what, if Guinness, say the guys that own Guinness bought a team, let's say they buy it, the, a new team, they buy the Hawaiian team, they buy the, you know, a team in Chicago and it's called like the, you know, the Chicago Guinness or something. And even that, I was kind of thinking, it's like, you know, if they did that, they, they might do like that Guinness thing where it's like, maybe they make the socks look like a pint of Guinness or something. Cause that's like kind of what Guinness does. But I was like, the logo of that team would probably be like a harp. And yeah it's barely like a pint of beer well or, and you know what there that's a great point like look at like in hockey yeah. we've got the halifax mooseheads mm-hmm. which was originally bought, owned by by moosehead which is which yep. is a beer company but their logo is a, the moose it's not a and, pint of, of beer yeah but th- their logo that's what i say that's, that's that's a great point though because it's like the moosehead's logo is the Moosehead logo. The Moosehead logo. It's, yeah, it's not even like, it's not changed in it. I think they put a giant H for the Halifax part. Yeah. But it's like the the, act, the logo is the Moosehead logo. And you know, especially I feel like when like guys like Jonathan Druin and Nathan McKinnon were playing for that team, it's like that was a popular jersey yeah. to have across Canada, man. Like kids, you know, kids wanted that. Um, there was a lot of like, even like their Halifax junior team, you could buy, you, there was a period of time where you could buy Moosehead gear and like a sport check in Ontario. Yeah. And I, I don't think it necessarily hurts their branding, the fact that they're called the Mooseheads. No. But it's like, and, it, and maybe it's even the same thing. Maybe the Gilcronies, maybe in the long run, it doesn't hurt because it's like maybe you know, maybe people are like, well, there's no direct, but it's like the Giltinis, they put the martini glass in the logo. So now you have that direct, like hard alcohol consumption, you know, associated with the actual vi- image of the team's brand, right? Like it's their logo, yeah. you can't get away from it. Whereas I think that's a great thing to be kind of brought up with the Mooseheads just because, you know, they're a relatively popular team, especially, you know. Especially in the East Coast. Yeah, especially on the East Coast. Like, if you've ever been out to uh, Halifax and stuff, it's like there's they're a popular team out there, right? So, and, you know, like, they've had some good runs. It's like they get a lot of TV coverage and stuff. Still kind of banking off of those, like, McKinnon-Drew in years where they were the best team in the country by a long, long stretch. Um, so, I don't know. Like, maybe that, maybe that isn't, you know, like, an interesting thing to kind of look at because it's like, I think, I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, no matter what you do, 
a corporate name will never be received well. Right. And I think, yeah. like, you know what I mean? Like I said, it's like, if we, if we got a team called the LA Guinness, we'd roll our eyes at the fact, Oh, Hey, the guys that own Guinness called the team, the Guinness, or, you know, the, Oh, Hey, the New York Red Bulls are a team um, in the MLS. Right. And it's like, all right, cool. Red Bull owns it. Red Bull owns like 15 to 20 pro sports teams around the world that they all renamed the Red Bulls. And it's like, you know, it's not like Red Bulls is a bad name for a team. It's just, you kind of roll your eyes at it because it's just the name of the company that owns the team. Right. And I think yeah, it's not creative. Yeah. And I like, I genuinely wonder too, like the other thing, and it's like, I would love to maybe like pose this question to the, you know, the listeners like at Brissette the Jet on Twitter at La Rouge Rugby. Um, like if, like, let us know what you kind of think of this. It's just like if a Giltini and a Gilgroni actually existed and you could walk into the store and buy it, right? And you could buy it no matter where you were in North America. Would you hate the name less or would it just become one of those, like, I'm going to roll my eyes at a corporation putting their own team, like slap it, like kind of like the Moosehead thing, which like Mooseheads isn't maybe not the best name, but it sounds better, I guess, because it's an animal anyways. I think there, there's another part of, of the discussion as well. And I think it has to do with the fact that there is a level of vanity that is obviously being shown by the ownership team that makes it even more difficult. Like, again, if we called it the LA Martini, okay. I think mm-hmm. there, there would be less because it's an actual visceral thing. reaction. It's a, it'd be a dumb name and we would still have the problems about like, you know, the youth rugby program and trying to make a family atmosphere, but at least it's okay. A martini. All right. That's fine. Yeah, it's an actual oh, thing. Uh, it's an actual thing. You know what a, you know what a martini is just like, you, you know what a martini is. You know what a the, the fact that, is. You know what an arrow is. You know what a yeah. legion is, etc. We don't know what a free jack is, but that's, that's either neither here or there. <laughs> free but, jack is a rugby player from England. That's what a free sure. jack is. All right. I'll, I believe you Derek. But like, <laughs> The fact that the owner, Gilcrest is just like, well, I like, I, I, rugby's about drinking and I own it, so let's smash it together. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like Terry Jones is going, you know what? We're the Cowboys, not anymore. We're the Jones boys. <laughs> you know, like, hey, the Cleveland, the Cleveland Browns are, that's exactly what the Cleveland Browns are, though. It's, they don't even have a least, logo. At least they, Browns that guy a, didn't even bother least, to come up with a logo. He was just like, yeah. Yeah, we're calling the team the Browns. But at least Browns is a real word. A Giltini is What's a made-up word name, he's though? making for his last name, though. And a Martini. He's smashing two things together, hoping yeah. that it works. And he got away with he got away with the Gilgroni thing because they came up with such a fantastic community-based program that people said, "Okay, this is a goofy name, but the kits are are pretty nice, and they're doing they, they've got yeah. a lot of really good plans." Okay, yeah. we'll we'll roll with it. And yeah, and I mean, only one shame on you. And I think, yeah, I think too, it's like, I mean, I don't know, like, I'd love to talk to, you know, some people from Austin. It's like to find out like, you know, how much of those promises that have been made are actually, you know, are being kept or, you know, if maybe there's intention to keep them. It's hard. It's hard because of the pandemic. Yeah. So maybe there's some intention to keep them and COVID derailed it. Um, I, I think though, like ultimately too, at the end, like, there's a lot of talk about it's like, you know, how could the MLR allow this to happen and stuff, you know, allow that second team name, you know, after a fictional drink. And it's just, 
there's a lot of other owners in the league that aren't thrilled about this either. Like they're like, I just like, I see a lot of it, you know, saying, and it's like, how could they allow this? It's like, apparently there's a lot of owners that saw the Giltini logo for the first time when, you know, it was slowly getting leaked throughout the day earlier this week. And then ultimately, Ugh. you know, ended with the MLR official release. Um, so there's, so there's that element to it. So rest assured, if you're one of those people that are like creating the petitions and everything, it's like the owners, at least, at least some of the owners anyways, are hearing you on that. And it's like, they're, they're kind of talking about it, um, about, you know, what they kind of want to want to do surrounding, um, you know, some of these team names that Adam Gilchrist has come up with. Um, so we'll, uh, we might, see what happens this might not be the uh, the end of this story and you know two things about that derek one we have seen with austin how quickly a brand change can come into effect i mean they did it within what a month and a half span before the leaks the season two started two weeks the toronto two arrows weeks. didn't know what even, color jerseys they were going to bring to uh the first game because they were like we don't know what color austin is wearing so they didn't they yeah. didn't what yeah so, um, you know, we, we actually mentioned him pretty early, uh, but Stu Hardy actually sent us a, a question. Uh, and we've answered some of his questions, but he had one question that I thought was interesting. I wanted your opinion on it. Does the fact that Loyals LLC operate two teams in the Western Conference not show a conflict of interest? Okay. Would it be, would it no. be more tolerable no, it if, if one team was in the West, one team was in the East? No, no. It would be the same thing. Um, I don't think it shows a conflict of interest at all, to be honest with you. It's a, you know, it's a single entity league. So it's like all the owners are buying into the league structure as well. Right. So it's just, I mean, I'm not really completely sure how the bylaws of the league would work. Maybe he gets an extra vote compared to some of the owners that only own one team. Um, But, or maybe, you know, maybe they just kind of know his vote for the other team, uh, depending on which way they go with that. But I don't think it's a conflict of interest in, sense of like you know it'll damage like the competition of major league rugby in any way um you know i think you know in the cfl we had uh i believe david braley at one point in time he owned the bc lions and the toronto argonauts um the reason he ended up doing that was kind of i believe the argonauts were in some uh a dire financial situation so he offered to step up and purchase both of the teams and to me i all they really did with that is if I'm recalling correctly was they implemented like a new rule that was essentially like any trade that was made between BC and Toronto had to go through like an extra step of approval. Right. It was like the, the okay. like kind of like, just so you can be like, okay, like one guy is going to own the teams, the GMs, the players are going to be separate. We just have the guy's money's going into both of the teams. That's fine. We just want to make sure that, you know, if there is a deal between the two teams, it's a reasonable football deal. And it's not like, you know, there's no like elements and stuff of collusion. And ultimately what ended up happening is I think BC and Toronto didn't actually make a couple of trades and the league let them go through because there was nothing like crazy with that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you, you know, uh, that's, that's a good point, Derek. And, you know, MLR, yeah. and we're going to talk about trades uh, actually very soon. Um, mm-hmm. But MLR, I don't think is in a stage in which, you know, uh, Gilcrest can just say, all right, well, we're sending our best player from the Gilgronies to yeah. LA to, you know, 
or you know, like if anything, he what he might do is he might say, okay, mm-hmm. we've got some guys in in the Austin, you know, academy or the Austin bench that should get more playing time, and we're going to send them to LA because yeah, exactly. You know, like you, you don't want something to... like that, like a transfer of some. But you kind. can like, put I think... like some sort of of rule or something, and I don't think it's going to end up being like I don't think it'd be like a conflict of interest to have it. I think. Yeah. You know, it's definitely, from a branding standpoint, it might look kind of weird to have two teams that are named incredibly similar that are owned by the same guy. Um, so maybe, it's like, that might be a bizarre look for the team. But I don't, think, I don't think it would have an impact on the competition thing, right? Because, you know, ultimately, if they thought this would impact the competition in a negative way, they wouldn't have let them buy two teams. Right. right. So, I, like, you know, ultimately... Whatever, maybe maybe they are going to do a similar thing to what the CFL did. Just be like, hey, you know, any trade between LA and Austin has to go through an extra step of approval. You know, maybe put in that like fantasy sports thing. It's like, hey, like we can veto your trade if we don't think it reasonably makes sense or something, right? And um, you know, I th- so I don't think like if you're saying like it would it be a conflict of interest from a com- competition standpoint? I don't think it necessarily is. Um, partly because also it's a single entity league and the owners just, they own their teams, but they also own part of the league as well. You know, let's, let's kind of go into the kind of trade business a little bit because in the last few weeks, especially surrounding the draft, we have had a couple trades that have been pretty interesting. Um, mm-hmm. The first one that kind of happened was LA swapped some picks with NOLA. Um, yep. So that was interesting in terms of uh, the, the picks being kind of traded back and, fourth um just pulling it up um la traded their f- their first for nola's second plus some future the good know, old future consideration future considerations oh, yeah. so whatever that that might be i mean uh, i wonder i wonder wife. if that's because la doesn't actually really have a team yet well like, it's that, future, and it's, yeah and it's and it's like like when my wife worked for the cwhl a lot of trades were future considerations because yeah. The teams did, really didn't know what they needed. Yeah, and they didn't. They didn't have the, that's probably, the, the ability that's probably to see the exact players there. Um, and then, and then the more interesting trade, especially for our podcast, is um, the Utah Warriors traded Robbie Povey, uh, Canadian international, to uh, Houston um, for for some picks. Now, first, let's talk about the Robbie Povey trade because. He's a very interesting player. I think that he had a pretty good uh, start to the season with Utah. Um, was primarily being used at fullback, but I think he got a couple of games in as fly he, half. He can play both pretty much equally. Yeah. Like, he's, he's not like – like, he's one of those guys that he can play two positions, and he doesn't really stand out as one. He doesn't really play one, like, a lot better than yeah. the other. He's, like, pretty – like, he's a very competent – fly half and like like, like most of the canadian fly halves out there like yeah exactly that, yeah that seems exactly story. Yeah. they play uh um, we have yeah there's a lot of uh canadian fly half fullbacks out there parfrey and nelson, nelson. and you got mcrory who also plays scrum half like but um we need that pure 10 let's go let's go that will pure kelly. 10. let's go will, will kelly. kelly yeah <laughs> uh but what do you think about this trade for i think it's interesting for houston I think it's also interesting for, for Robbie himself um, because, you know, in Houston, you've got a bona fide 10 
And, you know, he has plans to continue playing for at least a couple more years in Sam Windsor. So this definitely gives him the, okay, you are most likely going to be playing 15 and then may, or coming off the bench to sub off for, for Sam Windsor or, you know, 15 moves to 10, you know. But I think there's a hierarchy set there, which is, which is very interesting. So, like, what, what do you think about this trade, Derek? Oh, I mean, I, I like the trade. I think I think it's it's, it's interesting because it's like, you know, you watch like other sports and stuff, and it's like when a trade is made, it's like there's a lot of like immediate like who won the trade and all that kind of like judgment and you know the media putting like their opinions and their spin on it, which is like I think it's almost kind of like tough to do it for the, for this one at this point in time. I think you know obviously this is at the very least the first public trade in Major League Rugby history, um, so Robbie Povey gets that distinction i think it's kind of funny that um you know canadians aren't eligible for the draft although 30 canadians did submit their intention that they would like to play in major league rugby but i think it's funny that you know canadians aren't eligible for the draft but the first move of the draft is to trade all your draft picks away for a canadian yeah. um so <laughs> i you know i think that's that's just kind of a funny way that that ended up playing out um i think it's interesting though because i think we're about to kind of I like the fact that there are trades right now because it's like it's kind of showing what teams maybe value this these draft picks or where teams kind of value the draft picks. And with both trades, I mean, we can, we'll talk about maybe Robbie Povey's skill set and what he can maybe bring to Houston in a minute. But I think just to kind of vaguely sort of address both trades, both of the trades, L.A. and NOLA, as well as Houston and Utah, are a trade between an American manager and like a foreign manager. Right, like you have, um, you have Brian Fitzgerald on NOLA making trades with, I'm um, guessing, you know, the staff that we know of being Daryl Coleman, a lot of Aussie presence on um, the LA Guiltinis. And then you have in Utah, you have Brandon Sparks uh, making a trade with uh, Paul Healy. Um, right. So I think in that sense, too, it's like, I think, I wonder if it's kind of like a guy like Brandon Sparks, who's, you know, he coached at Michigan. Um, he's a lot more in tune to say like the U S development system is thinking like I can get a lot more out of these picks than some of these coaches that are coming over from overseas that haven't been here right. for very long and don't necessarily know the collegiate system. Whereas I wonder if that's also what Paul Healy is kind of thinking where it's like, like, you know, I've seen Robbie Povey play uh, whether it be against us or internationally or overseas in uh, the UK as well. And it's like, man, I know what I'm getting out of Robbie Povey, and I don't think I'm going to get a player in the draft that's going to be better than Robbie Povey, right? So it's like maybe that, whereas Brandon Sparks could be thinking, it's like, okay, I, I have the knowledge, the research, the scouting to be like, I know where I can get four quality USA collegiate prospects from, and I can make this trade and be confident with my four picks that I'm going to have in the draft. I think that's kind of a similar thing too with uh, the NOLA LA trade where it's like, I think Fitzgerald's probably like, I want to make sure I get someone at number two because, and now they have two first round picks because I know the American collegiate system a lot better than these guys that are basically just arriving from Australia to run the LA yeah. team. Right. So, you know, maybe like, I think that's kind of playing into some of these, some of these trades early, at least that's how I'm sort of reading into it. And we'll see, like, ultimately, I think maybe, you know, maybe by the end of the 2021 season, we'll see what strategy maybe paid off more um, than, than the other ones. But um, 
it's interesting because I think it just kind of sheds some light onto the mindset of some of the teams. And I think that's, that's a great point. And, and, you know, my, my second question is, you know, are trades going to be something that MLR will continue to use? I mean, trades internationally in rugby aren't common. Transfers are, you know, from, from one league to, you know, a, a lower tier. But it's a, it's a mostly North American thing that's happened, that happens. It doesn't happen very frequently in, in rugby internationally. So do you think that this is something that MLR is saying, we're going to differentiate a little bit from the leagues and, and, and it'll appeal to, because trades are exciting. They're bloody exciting. Yeah. When the trade deadline was like an actual thing in hockey, people used yeah. to like skip school or skip work and sit at home and watch it because it's so interesting how some people panic or some people make a perfect trade. And so do you think this is something that MLR is going to use? Like personally, I think that, the stock of athletes is going to have to grow yeah. before it, it becomes something popular. But do you think, you know, if they ever get to that point, that's something that they'll, they'll do? Um, you know, I think there, there's a couple factors going into that. One, completely agree with you. It's fun. It's exciting. It's something that if you're trying to grow the game in North America, it's something that North American sports fans have, don't watch rugby yet or are used to. Right, like we all, we don't have to, like even for that, it's like there's not a whole lot, like I don't think there's any other professional rugby league that does a draft. But no. you say a draft, like you don't have to explain what a draft is to North American sport fans. It's, it's familiar, it's comfortable. Yeah, it's, it's a stock like, of course you do a draft. Like yeah. every league does a draft. Semi it's like that comfy sweater you put on when it's cold out. Like that's just, it's just yeah, like, familiar. I mean, we brought up the Halifax Mooseheads. It's like, yeah, junior hockey in Canada, there's a draft. You draft 15 year olds. Like, that's just how sports work in North America. So, it's so weird. Yeah, yeah. It's no, like, it's like, we're like, yeah, it's like, uh, no, hey, 15 hey, year old kid, you're moving across the country. I hope you like it. Enjoy. You know why? Because Halifax drafted you. Enjoy. Um, <laughs> but, like, it, and, you know, but so it's like drafts are, yeah, it's a commonplace thing. So, if they want to use it, I'm not against it. I think that, you know, I'd be curious to hear what some of, you know, say maybe the, you know, the expats that are living in North America that are rugby fans, what they kind of think of it, if they like it or, you know, but like, I think as a North American fan, I'm not turned off by the idea of trades. Yeah. What I do want, though, is I want to know what the rules are for the trades, <laughs> which the MLR really has not put out at all. And it's like, it was just no. like, hey trades trades are trades are happening now um and especially you know it's houston and stuff i don't even know if like the mlr social channels even officially have acknowledged trades it was houston LA, the la nola trade i haven't seen being acknowledged on any social well and it's funny i tried to look up the information and i'm like i couldn't yeah, find it's, it it's coming <laughs> anywhere from, yeah it's coming it's coming from some uh, reporters i know america's rugby news had it i know um and that's you know so it's like that's kind of interesting i think but it's like what are we what are we allowed to trade that's what I want. Like, you know what I mean? Obviously, you can trade draft picks. Um, how does that affect the Toronto Arrows? Because they're down down to tradable assets. So, like, they can't – like, the Arrows can't trade draft. Could the, should the Arrows have been in the draft? Could they have traded those picks to somebody that right. didn't want it? If that's the case, did the Arrows know that they could have done that? Who knows? Um, where, like, I think even like, I saw like some rumors on like some of the Facebook groups and message boards and things like that, that like maybe NOLA might've traded the future considerations might, might've been like a, uh, like a foreign player spot. And I'm like, is that a, like, is, is that possible? Is that possible? Is that a thing that you can actually trade? Like, that seems like a silly thing to be able to trade. That's 
like what would be preventing guys from just being like, yeah, give me all your foreign player spots and we're going to bring like, you know, the former all blacks over here. Um, but like, so that's more or less what I want to know. If you can make trades, I'm more than happy to have it. Is there going to be a trade deadline? What are you allowed to trade? Um, how do trades work? Do players have to approve trades? Because we all know. Well, that's, and that's the big thing too, right? Like, you know, in NHL, NBA, NFL, MLB, these guys are making millions, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know? So they are much more comfortable from saying, oh, I'm being traded from Seattle to Boston. Okay, let's pack up and leave family. Or, you know, if they're young, then they just have to move themselves. You know, major league rugby players are not, you know, financially affluent to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, going back to the CWHL, because, again, financing was a big issue. What players did do is they did give, like, they basically everyone had a no movement clause. Like, everyone basically you would have to um, give a certain amount of teams that you would want to get drafted by when you were getting drafted into the league. So if I'm from if I'm from Gatineau, Quebec, I would say, okay, I want to get drafted by Montreal or Toronto or Brampton because the, or Markham before they they fold yeah, because those are the teams would want to close enough to my family. So yeah. I think that MLR probably did the same thing, and they're probably gonna do the same thing, hopefully with trades, so that way people can get used to this kind of thing. And, and maybe they might limit trades for only the off season. Maybe like that's again. That. So MLR, please release some guidelines because we need to, these are, these are questions that are very, very interesting. Yeah. And I think, you know, kind of going back to this Poby trade. Um, I, I like it from Houston's point of view. I think, uh, you know, Poby's a solid player that can play both fly half and fullback. As we mentioned, um, he has an absolutely massive boot on him though. Um, you know, like that's the one thing that kind of his one skill that kind of makes him stand out over some other players is, you know, if, if you got a, if you know, you're awarded a penalty, man, he's the guy that you want kicking that downfield because you'll absolutely maximize it. He's good at controlling the territory of a game, which is basically what Houston does. Um, they're a very territorial, they use, um, obviously Sam Windsor, um, Bruce DeWet, uh, DeWet Roos, excuse me, I said his name backwards for some reason. Um, <laughs> but uh, like Roos, Pig Latin. Yeah, exactly. The Pig Latin on the, looking at the roster sheet, it's the, com- the last name, comma, first name thing, right? Um, but, you know, he, uh, like, like they're both very good at, you know, kick, you know, u- using their boot to control territory to con- um, in the game. And, you know, like that's a style of play that Houston really likes. And I think Paul V would be a guy that can thrive in that kind of environment. Um, Windsor being their fly half um, is probably looking like they might, they're probably going to use Paul V as more of a flyback or full, fullback, not flyback. <laughs> yeah, how I'm just confusing everything Flex, now. The flexibility, though, that, that's <laughs> the flexibility, thing, though, right? The like, flyback, if, yeah. If Sam Windsor uh, goes on to the bench, you know, yeah, you can put Povey at fly half, or if yeah. he gets hurt the next game, Povey can play at ten. You know, it's he's uh, that flexibility is yeah. is super handy. And and we're gonna call his flexibility the flyback position. The flyback, I like flyback just combined it all. Um, but yeah, he's got that flexibility. He can play both, and that's obviously super beneficial. Um, and you know, we've seen that teams that have some of that flexibility, especially with guys maybe coming off the bench, are usually you know, having options is always a good thing. That's what coaches like to have. Right. So, 
Um, I think uh, Povey will be a good fit for uh, the Houston Sabercats organization. And, uh, you know, I hope he excels there next year. Um, we've got one little bit of uh, MLR news. Mm-hmm. And it's more gossip, really, than anything, because nothing has officially been confirmed. But uh, a few weeks ago, um, there were reports that a Hawaii team was in the works with MLR. And it's interesting because as we've been recording this podcast, a little post on the uh, Major League Rugby thread popped up about, um, about Hawaii and about a rugby team. Um, and it says, after listening to Cam Gilgore's interview, it seems like the backing could be coming from Gilcrest because he mentions that organizers are in the same group involved with Austin LA. Yeah. So, yeah. So we will, you know, let's talk first about the, about the logistics of the, having a Hawaiian team. Oh yeah. So now we've kind of seen it here in Toronto about how difficult it is and how expensive it is to have a transatlantic pro rugby team. I mean, the Wolfpack are funded and, and uh, Derek made this point to me when, we, when, we, when it first was released that the Wolfpack are funded by a very, very, very rich man who is putting tons of money into making it work. And they were pretty fortunate with, with their first sponsorship by Air Transat. <laughs> Derek, a Hawaiian team, is it feasible? Is it something that, can, that they can make work? Well, that's what um, Killebrew and the owners are figuring out right now because, you know, the, it, it's not an official thing, obviously, but the, like there's an ownership group that does have some, which apparently based on that, that podcast that was posted, if you do listen to it, apparently he is saying that he was part of, you know, the ownership group that uh, bought LA and Austin, but he's like branching out on his own. I guess, to set up this Hawaiian team. So I don't know how much of that crossover has happened. Um, so yeah, they, so there is an ownership group that wants to put a team in Hawaii, right? They're discussing that right now. They're trying to figure out the logistics of it, whether or not it would be, you know, so there's a lot of like, just to start, there's a lot of core things that they want figured out. Um, first, you know, first just being like, you know, the expansion fee has to be negotiated. Um, and then secondly, obviously is, you know, some of the logistics around the travel to Hawaii, how that would work, whether they want to do 2021 or 2022. Some people are saying that they want to aim for 2021, but it's like, in my mind, there's a lot of like, that's a really tight timeline. I think too, like we've already done the dispersal draft with Colorado. Um, the draft is coming up for the collegiate players as well. It's like, if you admit a team after you do all that, like, you know what like they're li- they're left with just you know you're plucking free agents and stuff and you're not necessarily maybe you're not starting on like equal footing and that might be you know something that's like a re- I don't know in my mind that might be a reason to put it off till 2022 just to let them come in the cycle but maybe you know maybe the owners of major league rugby think differently it's all stuff that they have to come in and consider i think yeah. i've been told too that one of the things that will be considered um, with a Hawaiian team at any new bids coming forward from any other cities is what are you going to call the team <laughs> might be something that is tabled as part of these discussions as well. Um, what you're like, yeah, just like what kind of branding are you thinking of going with? And, you know, now that that podcast has come out and the fact that, Oh, this guy was part of 
the same ownership group that at one point was looking to purchase LA and Austin. And it's like, I wonder if that's going to doubly like uptake of say, what are you, like, if you're joining this league, like, what are you, what are you playing on branding it? You know, we don't, we, you don't want a team, especially, I mean, like his name is Cam Kilgore. So it's like, we don't want a team called like the kill teenies or something. So the k- kill coconuts, <laughs> the, you know, yeah, like, kill, yeah, exactly. The, yeah. So, um, um, like you don't want that necessarily to happen, but apparently you know, that's hopefully though, that's not what kind of, like, I mean, it's, it's all things that they have to consider, but yeah, it's a real possibility. And obviously there's logistical issues with travel and time zones that also have to be addressed. Well, and then that, that's another West coast team. Yeah. So it would bump, it would, in theory, it would bump one of the, in my opinion, it would bump one of the Texan teams, Texas teams. To the Eastern conference, yeah. which I think geographic, like Dallas is new. So maybe you go to them, but I think geographically Houston is the furthest East. So yeah, with them, but that even, but you know, that's another thing that has to be considered. But apparently, like the, I guess, they might have to come up with this soon because, you know, you got to kind of know if you're going to have the team in because it's like, have adding that 14th team will affect obviously the schedule, or whatever, which is something that you kind of you need to get done right because you have a lot of teams in the league. Like take like say the Toronto Arrows, right? It's like you have. Like they have to deal with the fact that Lamport Stadium is a public facility that people can just rent out, as well as the fact that the Toronto Wolfpack play there. So you got to be able to put your schedule out or what dates you want, like in advance. Yeah. And similar to like you know other teams like that maybe share their field with like a university or a college or you know like even like Rugby United New York, they share their stadium with a baseball team. Um, so that's something that obviously has to be considered too. So you got to get that schedule out and in order to get the schedule out, you need to know how many teams are in the league. Right. And that also affects things like bye weeks how many bye weeks are you going to have that affect a 14 team obviously affects the structure and things like that. So there's a lot of things to consider um, with a Hawaiian team, but they are considering it. Um, and, uh, but even with that, it sounds like from that podcast that did come out, it sounds like he's, they're kind of looking at maybe like a, but he, he kind of, he called it himself like a Toronto arrows ish model of like, they really want to target like Pacific Islander players, um, including Hawaiians, obviously to be. Oh yeah. And, and there are, there are a few Hawaiian based players in MLR now, mm-hmm. uh, you know? So I, I think that I personally think that if they can get the logistics of traveling, travel down where they can make it affordable. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah, the travel in the, the flight traveling industry after COVID nineteen is going to be in a real, real mm-hmm. dire situation. So that is going to be a very interesting situation that comes out of it. But you know, uh, from my personal experience in being in Hawaii, uh, I, I've been there before and loved it. Um, they are very avid football fans, especially of the 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 Miami University my uh, University of Hawaii Hurricanes. Um, and I know that there is, there are very strong uh, rugby clubs there. Um, I think that if they market it properly and they really involve the community, it can be a very successful program. But there's a lot of logistics that I, it is way outside my wheelhouse as a podcaster slash educational assistant that I just don't see how they can get through that and make it a successful program without that being, you know, yeah. A top priority. 
Yeah, I think uh, the Hawaiian team, I think, is called the, the Rainbow Warriors, not the Hurricanes. But you, I think you might have been off track with that with the, uh, when you started on the Miami thing. But, um, but Maybe. Yeah. yeah, you might be right. Yeah. University. But... Rainbow Warriors. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. My apologies which to is, University uh, which, of Hawaii. Which is a cool name. Which is a cool name. Which is such a baller name. Um, and I mean, I hope, uh, I mean, that's one thing too, is like, I hope, uh, I hope Hawaii, like if there is a team, I hope Dallas too. I think that's something that's on, you know, people's minds now when they're coming up with, we know, we know Dallas his brand is still yet to be released. To be honest, I'm not even sure if the Giltini's brand was supposed to be released or if it was just like, because it's like the Twitter account is not even like set up. No, I, I went to it's check still it today. It's, yeah, it still it's doesn't inactive. even have like an like a icon up or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I don't But it's weird because Major League Rugby released a statement and... But I think it was they released the statement after everyone found it. Yes, that is like true. Their, like, you know, the, you know... I, like it was posted up on Reddit. It was, you know, uh, Doug Coyle had his article coming out with the coaches and everything. And, you know, like, I feel like, I'm, like, I'm, like part of me wonders if somebody like forgot to like, you know, block a website or like, you know, make the uh, Insta accounts private or something like that. But yeah. Um, but we'll, we'll see what happens with Dallas and, Hawaii, I guess, or any, or Miami, or any of the other teams that are in cities that are interested in having it, um, what they kind of end up going with as some brand. Right. So we, we've got a couple more things before we finish up. Uh, we're going to go and talk a little bit about uh, some of the things that the Toronto Arrows have been uh, keeping their fans busy with. Um, the first thing that they, they kind of rolled out was a Toronto Arrows Rewind uh, program that they started on their Facebook Live and on YouTube. And uh, basically what they did is they streamed old Arrows games. And, and it, it was a really, really fun program. Uh, they, you know, interviewed players that were in the games, coaches. Uh, Mark Winokur was, was part of it. Uh, Bill Webb. And even you, Derek, were on, uh, was on one of the episodes. Um, I, yeah, I might be biased, but I think episode three is the best one. <laughs> if anybody has I, I, you know. And the, the, the Toronto Arrows uh, fan supporter club got together and they started a uh, little pre-social drinking uh, uh, meetup uh, before all the Rewind games happened. So that was a lot of fun too. Yeah, and Derek plenty and I, of Giltinis and virtual Gilgronis to go around yeah. during the, uh, the archery so, sessions run by Chris Dodd. So shout out. Yeah, to so yeah, Chris, thank you so much. That, that was fun. I was able to get on a couple a uh, couple of those uh, calls. It was uh, fun to see everybody in person again. Um, the rewind was a lot of fun. Uh, watching these games again and kind of getting the perspective of the players was really, really cool. Uh, I think Dan Moore did a fantastic job. Uh, we had uh, Andrew Ferguson, um, Leandro Levas, uh, Jamie McKenzie, and uh, a few other guys. And it was just a fun little thing to distract us from the chaos that's been going on in this world. Um, and most recently, uh, the Toronto Arrows uh, reached a deal with TSN to rebroadcast some of their games, but in the condensed, uh, quote-unquote, Arrows in an hour. So they had uh, old games that they have edited down to, to last an hour. And um, it was kind of strange because leading up to, to the game on Saturday, it had been advertised as the, the, the drop goal game, their last home game last year against Rooney. 
Um, when it came on, it was, I call it the Ottoman Empire game against San Diego. So there must have been a mix-up somewhere, uh, probably on TSN's behalf, because on the Aero Social, it was advertised up until like an hour before to be that game. Uh, but nevertheless, it was a great game to watch. Um, it was well done. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a nice little tidbit of rugby and I don't know about you, Derek, but I think this is a great idea because it's going to condense and show rugby can be entertaining and fun to, to new masses, especially with it being on TSN. Yeah, I, I love the Arrows Classics idea too, like when they, you know, fully watching a full game and having like the players, coaches, um, you know, and even like uh, Coco, the analytics guy came on and like broke down like various, you know, stats and how they track all of that, which is, you know, a really fun and, you know, educational thing for a lot of Arrows fans. And, you know, you got to see a little bit of the players' personalities and stuff shine a lot, which is also great for, you know, just the Arrows marketing. Um, and that's brilliant. I think, yeah, the Arrows in an hour being on TSN right now is awesome. You know, TSN, obviously, like every sports channel that doesn't have access to the last dance is, you know, starving for sports content right now. Content. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like they're, they're, they're starving. Like they need some sports content. And like it's, you know, there, there's very few live sports out there in the world. The ones that are coming back are like the Korean Baseball League, the NRL um, super rugby, the AFL, which is all just like, that's a lot of awesome sports I can watch between three and 5. AM now. Um, which isn't necessarily, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's like, there's, there's you know, there's a lot of sports fans that are getting some PBRs in work. So one thing I always find funny is like people be, I'm so excited to tell you live sports back. And I'm like, dude, that game happened at six in the morning. You're still watching that on tape delay. It's technically, it's not live yet. It's not live until it's, you know, in our time zone maybe, but, um, this is, yeah, but it's like it's nice to just see live sports coming back and people being able to watch it. But for the time being, though, there's a lot of like those what still stands as like primetime slots, like that Saturday afternoon where people would normally be, you know, turning on, you know, say like a matinee hockey game or, you know, any of the, you know, like at this time of the year, it would be baseball would be having a ton of games on. There'd yeah. Playoffs, the Stanley Cup playoffs, um, the CFL preseasons probably should have been firing up about now too um so it's like there's usually like plenty of sports to go around and right now there's there's nothing so um from what i've been told is that tsn was actually the ones that approached the arrows about doing it which is a great sign um it means like you know tsn is obviously interested in having rugby content on their platforms they're showing it on tv not just on the streaming service obviously you can access it on the streaming service too but the fact that it's on TV and stuff is great. Um, so hopefully you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be exposed to it. I like, you know, the condensing it down to an hour, I think is a good idea. Um, just like it runs and it kind of came off as just a really like a long highlight pack, which was nice to just, you know, you, you can kind of like cut out some of the, the delays in between whistles, obviously cut out the halftime. Um, and then you can get like a pretty like, you know, quality product out that's really fast and is great for just exposing people to the game. And like, I know like rugby pass has like their super rugby highlight packs are like 30 minutes long. Right. And it's like, if you don't necessarily have the time to watch the full game, but you want to get 
like a proper idea of what happened that you can't really understand in like a two minute highlight pack. It's like things like that are brilliant. And I just, I hope, um, I hope people tune in. I hope Arrows fans, especially, I, even if you've seen the game before, please like tune in, make sure TSN knows that people are watching rugby and hopefully we, it'll lead to us getting some more rugby on TV. And, you know, Super TSN does have the, the TV rights to Super Rugby. So hopefully with the New Zealand competition firing back up, if they see that, hey, there's a big appetite for rugby, it's like they're probably going to be more inclined to make sure that we get some Super Rugby back on uh, yeah. at their streaming services or even on TV, which would also be cool. Yeah. And, I mean, what Sportsnet is doing with the NRL is it's showing it live. Yeah. And then they're also showing it at, like, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. So, you know, my daughter and I <laughs> were watching a little bit of it and she was just screaming about ball, you know, it's, so it's, it's yeah, nice. So that that's, that's TSN can yeah. kind of do that with super rugby. It would be nice. Um, yeah. So kudos to the arrows. I mean, uh, other, other teams have kind of been doing a little bit of some showing some classic matches like this, but I don't think anyone has been really putting in as much of an effort to engage with the fans as the arrows had. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, and we're going to end off with, with a, little bit of a, a little bit of a question for you, Derek. And, and you kind of mentioned it already. Uh, Super Rugby in New Zealand is, is coming back very soon. In a few weeks, it'll be uh, airing live matches. So my question is to you, is who are you going to cheer for in Super Rugby? Who's going to be the team that you're going you're gonna to put your, your weight behind? Um, I think, I mean, I kind of got two, I guess. I think I'm kind of leaning towards um the chiefs because they have tyler Ardron. so i mean you got to cheer for the uh the good old canadian captain down there and you know if you don't want to just cheer for one canadian then you know i guess the uh the hurricanes would be your next best canadian option as they have a partnership with the toronto arrows um hopefully that partnership will be expanding a little bit in the future as well and yeah i think that's the way you go if i mean if you cheer for like the boston bruins new england patriots you know, if you're just kind of St. Louis Blues, like if you're just kind of like that bandwagon jumper, cheer for the Crusaders. Um, if you want to maybe make sure that uh, nobody thinks you're being a bandwagon jumper, then maybe you cheer for the <laughs> Blues or the Highlanders. But Yeah, I think with uh, the big uh, Barrett uh, transfer to the Blues, I think that that'll be my – I want to cheer for the Chiefs, number one, but you've already said them. So I think I'll go with the Blues. I think that'll be a – It'll be interesting to see what he hasn't played rugby in a very long time. Yeah, but he, uh, he allegedly killed the Bronco test. Yeah. Like, annihilated it. Like Olympian. So that'll, be, so that'll be fun to watch. We're, we're looking forward to some live rugby. Yeah. And I know league, league came back. And, and, and it, they, you know, it's funny. They said on the broadcast for the NRL that this is probably the widest reach that they've ever had in their history in terms of people watching around the world. So, you know, I think that that's, that's a definitely a very interesting idea and, and Super Rugby should be thankful for that, at least out of all this. Yeah, I mean, that's probably true because there's not a whole, there's a lot of places in the world that haven't had sports return yet. Um, the key thing, I think, for whether it's the NRL league in general or, you know, rugby union, if those competitions start firing up, especially, say, before the North American ones do, the key isn't necessarily going to be like how big your reaches if you can get people like um, North American fans watching it or fans that from those non-traditional markets watching. The key is going to be like to see how successful that actually ended up being. And it's like, it's going to be a little bit of a test of your, 
you know, the ability to kind of market the games, but the, the test is going to be when all the other sports come back, did you actually capture those people enough that they keep watching yeah. when the other sports come back? Because right now it's like, yeah, there might be a lot of people, maybe there's a lot of people watching the NRL. Maybe there's more people that in normal, but like, you know, if there's a lot of people that had to, you know, buy that pasta sauce, that was the last one on the shelf because they got to the grocery store late when the start, the start of the pandemic. Right. And it's like that key for that pasta sauce company. Isn't that they're the last pasta sauce company. It's that what you actually liked it when you used it. And the next time you go back to that grocery store, when all the brands are there, you still want that pasta sauce that was, you know, the last one left at one point in time. So that's kind of, that's your key. Like you can expose it to people, but how are you going to make sure that, you know, especially for North Americans, when the NFL's back, when MLB's back, when the NBA's mm-hmm. back, when the NHL's back, when the CFL's back, when the NL, when the NLL is back, like listen, when curling's back or whatever, like where, like, you know, are we, are those people that were like, I'm watching the NRL for something to watch. I'm watching super rugby because there's nothing else. There's something to watch. Are those people going to be like, okay, now that everything's back, I enjoyed that so much that I still want to be. I'm going to keep watching it. That's what, for that's sure. the goal that you have to, it's not, to me, it's not enough to just be like, hey, look at our numbers. We got a lot of people watching it. It's like, yeah, cool. It's 5 a.m. in New York and that guy's actually just passed out on his couch with the sports channel left off. It's <laughs> like, how, how do you actually make sure that people are engagedly watching it? And how do you make sure that when they, when all the other sports come back, they still want to watch it. And I think even with the arrows in an hour, that's going to be the challenge of what Bill Webb has, as well as the owner of the Toronto arrows. It's like, maybe there's a lot of people that are being exposed to rugby for the first time. There's not a whole lot of sports to watch right now. So it's nice to see some rugby on TV. Something different. Yeah, exactly. And, but how do you translate the arrows in an hour and how do you actually translate that all the other sports are back and we still want to watch arrows rugby, right? Like that's going to be, that's going to be the key. And I mean, obviously I love rugby and I think, you know, it's an amazing sport and I hope, I just hope other people can see that. And then when we do get all the other sports come back, I would, you know, hopefully we're seeing a big attendance spike at the uh, Lamport stadium next year. Um, So before we end the episode, uh, we just want to take a minute and, say that our hearts go out to anyone affected or taking part in the protests that are currently happening in the United States. Uh, I speak on, on behalf of both of us as, as you know, two white men. We haven't really witnessed the struggles minorities have had to face throughout the world. Um, all we can do is we have this platform in this rugby community with this rugby podcast, and we ask you to support uh, minority groups all throughout North America and the world, and also to support rugby programs that lift up minority groups and give them a chance to love the game that we love. Um, Here in Canada, we have two groups that really uh, have a focus in doing so. Um, The Iroquois Roots Rugby Program uh, in Ontario, and and they do some work out West. And especially in Ontario, the Toronto Inner City Rugby Foundation are just two examples um, that give kids that might not have had the chance uh, to play rugby to enjoy the sport uh, to make new friendships and to grow out of their, their, their conditions. Um, we want you all to stay safe um, and, and don't be afraid to voice the struggles that you've dealt with in your life. And uh, we will continue to be posting uh, episodes 
as more news comes out in the world. And we just hope that everyone stays safe, love each other, and uh, hopefully out of the darkness, something good will come out of everything that's been happening in the world. Uh, Derek, thank you for, uh, for joining me again. And uh, we will all talk to you later. Be kind to everybody out there. <laughs>